Hi, I'm Jason Nias, along with Natalie Wires from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason Nias coming to you live from London, England today. I have the pleasure of having Matthias Korn join me from MGI Research. Welcome, Matthias. Yeah, good afternoon, Jason. Great, great to be here, and uh, thanks for bringing very, very nice weather. Lovely weather, as the locals uh, would say here in the, the UK. Yeah, I've been here three days. This is definitely the nicest of the three, so you picked the right day to come see me. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Well, let's start off by introducing our audience to MGI. Uh, can you explain what your company does? Yeah, so we're a boutique research and advisory firm founded a good 10 years ago by people from... Um, so what So what binds us is, is Gartner, and Gartner had an investment company on Wall Street called Soundview Investments. So it's a mix of technology and Wall Street. Um, Andrew Daly, who's one of the co-founders, and myself, we worked at Gartner. So they started off in 2018, looked at a couple of trends at the time, which, you know, given some of the background, was ERP or ERP-related. And a lot of ERP evolved to billing. And then in 2016, with my payments background, I would say they saw the light and they, they contacted me and they asked me to join to look at payments for, uh, for MGI. And what we do is we work with both technology vendors and end users. We help them understand the, you know, we're very growth driven. So we not only help them understand the technology, we also help them understand what growth can they get from this technology and how to apply it. And we have a concept called agile monetization. And within that, we have defined AMP, agile monetization platforms. So think of billing, think of your CRM, think of payments, CPQ, what are the vendors in all of these buckets, but more importantly, how does that work together and how do you become an agile enterprise? Yeah, I love that. And, and just for the uh, interest of transparency, we, we actually are a customer of MGI and we really value your, the relationship. Uh, we buy your services because yeah, you guys give us great market research. Uh, you guys got your finger on the pulse as to what all the other monetization platforms do. Uh, you give us great insights around who we should partner with and why to kind of fill gaps in, in our go-to-market. And you give us really good total addressable market stuff. So we really love our, our relationship with you guys. Uh, one of the things that I get a lot of value out of is your monetize event. Uh, you've had one recently in Amsterdam, and I think there's one coming up in San Francisco pending some dates if you know with uh, with the coronavirus stuff going on. But can you speak a little bit about what monetize is and what type of companies attend and what they get out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so last week in Amsterdam on the on on March the fifth, we had monetize thirteen, which is as the, as the name alludes to the thirteenth in a series uh, of monetize events. What we look at is bringing together both, you know, sort of like-minded professionals within the different functions in the AMP framework. So we had a couple of sessions on CPQ, configure price quote. Um, we had a couple of billing sessions. We had uh, actually in the billing sessions, but somebody also with a CPQ background, somebody from ATG, which is a cognizant company, on the challenges around implementation 
of some of these um, yeah, pa packages or concepts and, and how to make them work. We had um, in payments, we looked more and more at B2B. So we had one of your customers, James Sudworth from Egress, who is nearly live on the Digital River and Salesforce uh, platform talking about headless commerce. And headless is something I think we'll, we'll be talking about that a little bit more down the road in, the, in this podcast, so down the road in this next 20 minutes. Um, and what you see is, so, so the task we gave everybody at the beginning is, so how we run it is, it's 20-minute sessions. Andrew starts with a PowerPoint and Igor closes with a PowerPoint. There's no PowerPoint in between. It's 20 minutes. If you like it, I'm really sorry, it's only 20 minutes. If you don't like it, that's good news, it's only 20 minutes. So what you see is actually people sit there, excluding, of course, the, the, the breaks and the lunch, but really, really interested and really, really listening. And even people afterwards said, ah, you know, that CPQ is completely not my cup of tea, but it was interesting to learn about what that is and how that plays a role in the whole e-commerce journey. So the task we gave everybody is learn, you know, go home with a new idea that you are going to work on as of tomorrow, get confirmation on a thought or an element of your strategy, and try to learn a new person or meet a new person that's outside your comfort zone or outside your regular area of focus. We only got very good uh, uh, feedback, and, and I think everybody went home with a, with a grade A on the, uh, on the homework we gave them. And you know, the, common, the common piece of feedback is, what a great concept, no PowerPoint. I would struggle with that. I I love a good PowerPoint, but you know, if you got great content, you know, maybe you don't need it. You're, you're in good company there, Jason. Lots of people initially struggle with the no PowerPoint, but once you take them through it, they'll love it. Yeah, right on. Well, so for our listeners who might want to be interested in attending a monetized event, how does that happen? Is anybody welcome to attend? Do you have to be at a digital business or, or a platform provider? Who gets included in these types of events? So, so in principle, the answer is anybody is, is welcome. So we're running Monetize 14 in San Francisco on April 30. As you rightly pointed out, let's see over the next couple of days how things are panning out with the whole uh, coronavirus. I think in Amsterdam, we, we were lucky. We had a handful of people who couldn't show up. We had one of the speakers that we were able to join um, by Zoom. That all worked out. You know, if, 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 if it keeps on going like this, we may have to do the whole event digitally rather than physically. But in principle, everybody's welcome. We typically see a mix of people with in-depth knowledge on one of the topics that we cover in the Agile monetization platform. So let's say CRM, and that could be people from Salesforce. That could be people looking at CRM, looking at Salesforce, but looking at something to do with CRM. Of course, we see a lot of payments people. We see um, billing, more and more C-level people who have a couple of these items in their, in their um, job description or in their KPIs to do something with, to come up with a, with a strategy. We see finance people, um, you know, reconciliation. In the U.S., there are new laws around how uh, revenue is recognized, revenue recognition. And we see on the payment side a lot of regulation in the uh, in Europe at PSD2. We see the US and Brazil copying some of this PSD2 regulation around faster payments. We see technology people who want to learn about cloud versus IT. So it's a, it's a mix and match. 
And that's why it's very nice to, at the beginning of today, encourage people, meet somebody outside your regular comfort zone, meet somebody from another discipline, and you'll be positively surprised. And the format is also very suited for that, um, because all these topics are typically two by two uh, in 20-minute sessions. Yep. I found your event uh, in San Francisco last year to be incredibly valuable for a variety of reasons. Number one, I really like how there there's almost a community. It, it, it's, it, it forces people to get to know each other, to, to mingle, uh, and to be really social. And so e- even in the context of what we accomplished at last year's Monetize, we actually met some future partners who we're working with today that we've met at your show. Uh, we actually engaged with three or four prospects that we had cycles with and some we still are in cycles with. And we even hired a guy uh, who, who runs uh, some partnership work for us who at the time worked for Oracle. So uh, if you come with an open mind and uh, you're in this industry, you have a, either as a high-tech company or as a provider of services, it's a really good use of your time. Yeah, actually, I think, Jason, you're hitting the nail on the head. The, the, the key word or keywords is probably open mind um, and open up, and, and you'll have a great day. Yep, I totally agree. So you've got a very, very impressive background in payments. You're one of the people I consider to be an expert uh, in payments. And what I would love for you to do is to go back a little bit as to how you got your start and how you started to build up so much expertise in payments. Go all the way back to, you know, your early days at Gartner or wherever your first job was and work us on your journey. Yeah. So actually, funnily enough, we're, we're here in, uh, in Slough, which is you know, sort of two stone throws away from, from Heathrow. Well, I did say we I, were in London. This is yeah. London-ish. Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, I worked for Gardner in a place called Egham, which is, I guess, another two stone throws away from here. And, you know, maybe the experts will say it's another runway um, uh, f- from Heathrow speak. Uh, so I worked uh, at Gardner here in the UK for a year. I did my uh, college here in, uh, in London. That's how I ended up with, 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 with Gardner in London. Then I worked six years in sales for Gardner in the Amsterdam office, looking after some technology companies. Funnily enough, one of them was Origin, who merged into Atos, which basically is at the root of Worldline, which, of course, you sold part of uh, Digital River to. Um, So a lot of things coming uh, coming together in a way. Uh, And I looked after the banks. And actually, I looked a lot after the investment banks, Gardner had a lot of research on semiconductors. Um, so, of course, Philips being a Dutch company and at the time big in semiconductors, that was very important, but always had an interest in investment. And I worked at Gardner for seven years. I left, I actually, I left to join a company called Morningstar for two years. And then I got a call from two old Gardner colleagues who had joined the consulting arm of MasterCard. So I spent three, three and a half years with MasterCard, the first year in the consulting arm. And the, the later three years in, let's say, proper MasterCard, looking after one of the larger financial institution clients in, in Europe. Um, the color of, of, of the Netherlands is orange, so the bank is orange, uh, so the avid listeners will know it's ING um, from ING Direct, um, but of course a global retail, but also a wholesale bank. Um, and at the time you had SEPA, the formal name is the Single European Payments Area. So all the l- scattered landscape of debit cards um, and what, it, what you call in the US ACH, but wire transfers was all sort of kind of in the first step being made ready for a, a monolithic market whereby it would work across Europe. 
the cynics at the time said, well, SEPA stands for sent all payments to America because Visa and MasterCard jumped on this big time um, and they did a very good job. So you see that over time, um, all the debit cards and of course the, the, the credit cards um, are mainly MasterCard and Visa. So we came up with, with, with PSD2, um, which more about later. So after three years at MasterCard, I set up my own company and I've done a lot of assignments in, in many places to do with payments, whether that's, you know, LATAM related with e-banks. I did some work with WorldPay when they just left the, uh, the RBS framework. Um, I worked for some of your respected competitors, formerly Evangate, currently to checkout. Um, I went down to Santa Barbara, where Fastspring is uh, is located. Sure. So the the merchant of record space is really um, where I found my home, and which, which which is an interesting part of the um, uh, of the payments ecosystem. Uh, but also did some work for some payment gateways, setting up a payment facilitator, so bordering on some regulatory work uh, here and there. Fascinating. What's uh, so? Give us a, a a view into what's going on in the world of payments. Like, what are some of the big trends? You mentioned PSD2. Uh, there's all sorts of new payment methods. There's virtual cards. Talk talk to us about what you're seeing and share with our audience some of the, the interesting trends. I think there, J Jason, we already have content for another th three or four uh, podcasts. M more than happy uh, either myself or, or with other people to to help um, or, or, to, or to, be on the, uh, to be on the podcast. No, so if you look at the regulatory framework PSD2, which um, which comprises on a, on, a, on a couple of points, but take the, the take the real time payments, whereby a wire transfer initiated from person to person should be credited to the other account within five seconds. The idea there is to disintermediate cards, which are seen as expensive. PSD2 has regulated the interchange uh, on cards to make it less of a interesting business case um, for the issuers. So uh, banks are hurting uh, from that perspective. Um, and of course, the, the wire transfer makes, makes that easy. And the theory there is you could use things like QR codes to initiate that payment. You see what are called services seven and eight, which is payment initiation and access to the account. So payment initiation is, and I'm probably stepping a few very formal steps, but it's basically you give somebody else permission to do a wire transfer on your behalf. So there is a German com German company called Sofort who started this maybe even as much as 10 years ago, but they use screen scraping to do this. Um, and now that is officialized under the PSD2, um, which of course is interesting when you think about it in a, whether it's person to person, but also for play paying from consumer to business, whether it's bill payment or whether it's at a point of sale in a shop, um, within five seconds, the amount is credited. So it really is an alternative also in a retail environment for a card payment. Um, then the access to the account is interesting. It provides a lot of data, whether that is for underwriting, for a mortgage or for a loan. Um, you can also use that in a subscription environment and see, hey, when does that person typically have money in their account or when is their salary being paid? So, you know, you as an e-commerce biller or as a billing company, you could say, hey, along with the billing information, I sell along a advice, so-called enriched billing, 
I sell along advice to my clients, I would debit his account on X day because that's when the salary is, is paid or, or X plus one. Yep. So it's really uh, it's, it's 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 really generating some interesting um, um, uh, products and services or op- opportunities. Eh? So what I said last week is at Monetize Thirteen is you know invest some time in the boring stuff. Regulation by itself typically is boring, but the PSD two is offering uh, a lot of opportunities to do things. What of course has gained a lot of. Um, what has gained a lot of attention is the SCA, the Secure Customer Authentication, which is kind of causing some of the reverse in terms of opportunities and is and is bringing you know is bringing commerce to a standstill um, to a certain degree. Um, it, it, it's been extended eh, by by over a year to the end of this year, so it was going to be in effect uh, late 2019. That's been postponed till this year. Let's see what happens. Um, you also see with this access to the account, there are some GDPR issues because, you know, I as Mr. Korn give access to my account and then they see a transfer from you, Jason, and, and they, they also get to see Mr. Nyhuis's account details. Yeah, you obviously did not give permission. I did. So, yeah, how do you treat those names uh, uh, on that account? And imagine if they see that you pay me regularly. Uh, what, 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 what's that about? Uh, and imagine if it's some authorities that that got access um, to this information, or they match it up with some other information. So, yeah, there are still some issues to be uh, to be resolved. Um, we had at Monetize, we had the Dutch regulator or an advisor to the regulator, and of course, the Dutch banks have a very successful scheme called Ideal, mm-hmm. which was a real-time bank transfer. You know, ten years ago, simply because the way it worked and the way it w- it was set up. Um, they, of course, on the one hand, potentially see to be disintermediated by real-time bank transfers, but they have noted that the brand name of Ideal is so strong and the consumer trusts Ideal so much that they're convinced Ideal will not disappear as such and it it will morph into a real-time bank transfer service uh, operated by uh, by the Dutch banks. Fascinating. So you talked uh, a lot about... And that's the just the first part of, yeah, no, of the question. Just the, yeah, I know. You didn't even get to the second part. Uh, exactly. Uh, but but let's stay on the thread of, of compliance just for a second. You talked about PSD2, uh, which is you know a European view on regulations. Are other countries or markets going to be quick to follow? And, and what are you seeing so far from the market? So so there's a couple of there's a couple of points there. I think the e, the low hanging fruit there is WeChat in China with the QR code that you know probably none of us have used but all of us have seen. Um, that you could say is an alternative already to uh, uh, real time payments as described in the PSD two. The U.S. regulator, the Fed, or, or one of the Feds, it's always a little bit difficult in the, in the U.S. to exactly see who is the regulator, but they are working on a real-time bank transfer framework. And the Brazilian central bank has, has said that in 2020, they want to have a real-time bank transfer uh, infrastructure set up. The Brazilian banking infrastructure is actually quite technology-driven and is quite good. They're very close already with the existing uh, transfer. The big issue there is there is typically in a transfer no identifier coming along. So from an e-commerce perspective, so for a digital river, 
the headache is the reconciliation of, of course, all these transfers coming in into a central account. So you may have to end up in manual matching. And of course, if there's a lot of people with the same surname paying the same amount, that could be a big headache. Um, so that is, so that is a issue to be solved um, to make sure you can do the recon reconciliation. And of course, there, there are some ways to do that fairly easily. And Brazil is seen as the guiding light in LATAM in general. Um, so it's expected that once Brazil has that up and running, the other LATAM countries will follow pretty quickly. I think Mexico is already halfway there as well. And what a lot of people don't realize is that LATAM has 600 million consumers. So in, in terms of G GDP, it's not as advanced as Europe or the US, but the number of consumers, number of online consumers, Mobile, everything is mobile. They've completely skipped the desktop phase. It's everything mobile. So that could be a real driver um, for these types of services. And of course, a bank transfer is cheap. It's cents rather than a ad valorem percentage-based uh, deal. Mm -hmm. Who's winning in LATAM? It's a really good topic. Uh, you know, we see in a lot of our opportunities, people talking about global and all these countries, and LATAM is generally on the list. And it's not, it's not generally... Brazil, it's more kind of more complex places, Colombia, Argentina, other places like that. Who is doing a great job, either from a payments perspective or a commerce perspective, or maybe there's a platform that's doing well? What are you seeing in Latin America? So I think all, all of these countries have, have a different advantage to, to the other. So in Argentina, you see that uh, travel is, is really booming. The market overall is growing at nearly 30% a year. The overall Latin market is growing 16, 17% a year, which, which is still very impressive numbers. Um, in Brazil, you see a lot of digital services. So Disney+, Plus, DAZN, Netflix, they're all doing really, really well. Spotify is doing really well. Of course, you have the Boleto, which is a cash payment via a voucher, um, which is, of course, not the most subscription-friendly way of paying for a subscription. Um, but you see that Spotify has introduced a three-month subscription um, in order not to force people to go to the post office and pay cash every month, but they pay for three months. You have a longer relationship. They're offering some incentives for people to get a card. One of the largest valued uh, neobanks is Nubank, which is a Brazilian bank. You see that Revolut next to the US, uh, so the so UK-based neobank Revolut next to entrance into the U.S. also announced uh, that Brazil was on their list. I think N26, the German guys, d announced something similar. So you see that, um, yes, there are still 30 or 35% of the population in Brazil and in Latin in general is unbanked. There is a huge push to bring them online. So, so that will drive. Um, Mexico is, is, is very advanced in um, retail, online retail, but also bill payment is done online. They have, as I said before, they have a very good way of doing money transfers as a wire transfers. They do that from a mobile. There is still a little bit of a cut and paste um, sort of in the IBAN or the bank account number, but people have a very handy way of doing that and it works. Yeah. So, you, so you see bill payment is done uh, ver very much online and on time, not uh, unimportant. Any major platform players? I guess I'm leading the witness a little uh, we have a future partner with VTEX, and these guys are appear to be just crushing it down there. 
Yeah, so, so Fitex is really growing into the next Shopify type um, um, commerce platform. You have um, there's another one. The name eludes me. Uh, Mercado Pago. Yep. Uh, that's the one. That's 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 more an eBay type um, marketplace. Uh, ma- marketplace type, type type setup, sort of consumer to consumer. Um, and Vitex is more business to consumer. Yeah, they're doing very well. It's 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 been very overlooked, uh, South America. But there's a lot of if you if you have a look at the SoftBank place, um, and I wrote a blog on this last year. There's quite some unicorns um, down in Latin, way more than you'd expect. Yeah, well, eBanks uh, is a unicorn. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. eBanks is one of the latest uh, unicorns. If you go to Colombia, uh, you have uh, Gym Pass. Uh, and they have a delivery service similar to Glovo, the the Spanish guys, uh, Rappi. Uh, so there is a lot of e-commerce and innovation there. Yeah, fascinating. So you know, obviously, you have this massive depth of knowledge and payments, and and what's happening with global monetization. How does a guy like you stay current? Who do you look to? What what blogs do you read of other people? write? as a former analyst, people. Look to analysts. Do you look to analysts? Uh, of course, I look to analysts. So I, I subscribe to many, many. Um, I subscribe to many newsletters. I'll speak to the guys at Mercator Advisory every every now and again. They have Steve Murphy, who uh, is very knowledgeable on sort of wholesale banking. Uh, and and you asked me a question about virtual cards, and we didn't get into it at all. But <laughs> you uh, then then you're in the whole world of 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 corporate cards and and business banking where I think there is a lot of traction and there is a lot of opportunity. You come to issuing platforms like a Marketo, um, where, there, where and, and, and that was one of the things Marketa, I said. Marketa, right? Marketa, yeah. Marketa. No, yeah. So yeah, Marketo is the marketing guys. Yeah. Marketa, yes, spot on, good Jason. So you're listening, but I'm it wasn't trying. but it wasn't a test. No, no, so you have <laughs> the guys from Marketa, and there you see that, you know, we've seen a lot of disruption on the accepting side, we're now crossing over to, in the four-party model, the issuing side. So, you know, where Stripe and an Agen on the accepting side are now also issuing virtual cards with money on it to, you know, whether that's a buying supplies or an accounts payable perspective, yeah, but, but they make the money move faster. Yeah, so we call that the finance revolution. Revolut on the issuing side is now crossing over and they posted 40 or 50 jobs here in London on the acquiring side. Wow. PayPal is doing the same thing. They have issued a card against their your merchant account. There is a lot of, um, so Marketa has a lot of different use cases, whether it's in a platform, whether it's in an account payable environment, uh, some very interesting stuff. So Steve Murphy at um, Mercator Advisory is somebody I look at. I... Um, I listen to the podcast from PIPRO, PPRO. It's a network of alternative payment methods. We've spoken a lot about cards and cards type acceptance. But, you know, if you take a step, if, if you step outside the U.S., you come into non-cards quite a bit. We spoke about Ideal in the Netherlands. 60 to 70% of transactions online are done with Ideal. In Germany, you have SoFort, which is, it's not 60 or 70%, but it's, it's a lot of transactions are done by that. There is a pay later revolution or pay on invoice. Yep. It's big in Germany. It's big in the Netherlands. It's it's 
big in, in Europe overall. Who Klarna, Klarna is, is, is one of them. There is, funnily enough, there is a Dutch company called Afterpay, which is part of Bertelsmann, are in this business. Yep. There is an Australian company with a similar name that has skipped Europe and they've gone straight to the US with a, with a similar concept and they're really doing Who, very well. Which one is this? They're also called Afterpay. Yeah, I thought so. So um, uh, they're creating a lot of traction and they're also creating a lot of confusion. Yep. Um, but it's this, it's this buy now, pay later. Affirm, sezzle. Exactly. There's yep. a, exactly. There's a lot of people getting into this. You get some of these uh, debt collection agencies are getting into this and they're trying to move forward into the scoring with the data and then trying to move down line or downstream uh, financing this. Um, of course, the papers is one of the news uh, newsletters I read um, religiously. Uh, Payments.com has yep. a very good B2B section. Uh, and it's always on top of things very well. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to read. And every now and again, you know, even Yahoo Finance and just go to Visa, Mastercard. Um, it's it's a very efficient way to keep track of their press releases and and, and what's going on. Yeah. And of course, you know, coming to and 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 I've said there is a world outside of cards. But if you see what Visa and Mastercard, on the one hand, have announced in terms of partnerships and the stack they're building, and on the other side, the acquisitions they're building. They're really becoming a turnkey, regardless of the payment method. It runs over their rails, but whatever you want to use, they'll be able to process it for you. Yep. So what's going on with Interchange? Going up, going down? Ah, so um, well, so in Europe, it's it's been regulated to 20 basis points for consumer debit. It's been regulated to 30 basis points for uh, consumer credit. It's unregulated for corporate cards and business cards. That is under review. In For the astute listener, there is a corporate card with individual pay, which is seen as a consumer card. So that's the consumer interchange. Um, there is a um, th there is a review by the European Commission that has just been launched. In the US last year, very much to my surprise, they increased uh, the interchange a little bit. Plus, it's more fragmented in premium cards, co-branded cards, airline cards, fleet yeah. cards. It's a mess. What have you? I, I, I think that's the best way to summarize it. It's a mess. And as a merchant or a processing company like a Digital River, it's a mess is a, is a very diplomatic understatement. Yeah. I, 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 in all fairness, I think it should be simple, simplified somewhat. Um, if you look in the world of virtual cards, you see a lot of use of prepaid, um, funded by the merchant account and then being bought online. And there are interchanges to stimulate that type of use. And then the on the receiving end are some of the travel merchants. So think of airlines, but, it, but it's more than airlines who all of a sudden have to swallow a higher cost. Yep. Um, some of this money goes, goes over a card more than once. I, I I I think interchange will be on, on its way down, um, and there should be a fairer way to do it. Is it. Is that 30 basis points like in Europe? Is that 160 basis points or more? Probably somewhere in the middle. I yep. think the uh, uh, around 100 basis points is probably fair. Yeah, we uh, we actually like some of that complexity, although it, it it can be a challenge for us to do the reconciliation. All the different. Uh, interchange rates that you get based on card types, but it's part of our value prop is that we stand uh, in front of our customers and protect them from all that variability. And it becomes predictable, which is value. They don't have to do the math, es essentially. 
So I agree with you uh, on your point of view. Talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, one of the questions we ask everyone is, we all are consumers in our daily lives. Uh, we all have a business context. What are some experiences that you think, uh, whether it's commerce or e-commerce or payments, that are really kind of establishing the bar for what great looks like? So I'm going to kick in an open door here, but Uber for me is, is the example of how to do it. I signed up five, maybe six years ago when I was on a trip to San Francisco to Uber. So funnily enough, I have a US account, which never brings me a problem, except when I earn points and a rebate. When I'm in Europe, it says, yeah, but you can't use that here, so I can only use that in the, in the US. But for the rest, it works absolutely seamlessly. I have two or three cards in there. I have a company account in there. You can switch between them. I I have signed my own company up as a company user so I can make codes so every now and again and I I I I'm a I'm a sole trader so it's actually sometimes my kids that will use um use that code but to make a code and email that, that to somebody and it's centrally built so you you know central billing and keeping control is so important those guys have the consumer or the, or the user really, and whether it's a consumer user or whether it's a business user is incredible. It's so seamless. And of course, seamless payments has gone to invisible payments and Uber has really made that uh, invisible. And it must have been two years ago, I was doing a project and we were talking to Uber on getting the data into expense management and the vision these guys have on, on how to do things is just incredible. And in all transparency, I've never spoken in depth with Lyft, so maybe I'm shortchanging Lyft completely unfairly, um, but Uber is my, is my go-to uh, uh, transportation, and it's so seamless. A lot of people can learn uh, from that. And I think anybody in customer experience or user experience take an Uber every now and again just to see what those guys are doing and, and, and trying to learn from it. That's right. You know, we are all influenced by the experiences we have in the real world. This is a great example. People expect that type of experience. Yeah, exactly. Yep, it is raising the bar. So if people want to get in touch and geek out with you over payments, how would they do it? Go to your LinkedIn page? I, exactly, exactly. Go to LinkedIn, look me up. Um, Might have to spell the name for people. Yeah, so the surname is Korn, Kilo, Oscar, Oscar, Romeo, November. And the first name is Matthijs, M-A-T-T-H-I-J-S. There's a hidden um, J in there. Exactly. <laughs> and, and as a fallback, just drop Jason an email. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and he'll forward it. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, Matthias, thank you so much for spending the uh, afternoon with us and giving us a big, uh, well, an overview as to what's going on with payments. I'm sure there's hours and hours we could have spent together on this topic, given your depth and knowledge. But thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to, have, to, to be here. Thank you very much, Jason. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast, brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.